Welcome back to Bolton E-Bikes, episode number six. In one of the previous episodes, I shared five things you should know before you buy an e-bike. And those were kind of the basics of understanding how electric bikes work. Now for this episode, we're going to dive into the technical details just a little bit more. I want to give you a more fundamental understanding of how e-bikes work. So if you want to better understand how your e-bike works, then stay tuned. Once again, this is episode number six. I'm your host, Kyle Chidock, and this is the Bolton e-bikes podcast. Now, real quick, before we jump into the episode here, I've got one thing to share with you, and that is if you're listening for the first time or if you're just finding my podcast for the first time and you haven't been on my email list or watched my YouTube videos, you may not know that I give away electric bikes and the giveaways have only become more frequent and I only expect them to become bigger as time goes on. I just love giving bikes away whenever I can. So if you're listening, likelihood is I have a giveaway going on right now. Right when I'm recording this, I absolutely have a giveaway going on. And the best way to enter is to go to my website, ebikepodcast.com, put in your email there and your name, sign up for the podcast newsletter, and you'll also get a follow-up email that tells you how to enter to win the latest electric bike. So if you want to win an e-bike, make sure to go to ebikepodcast.com. And just so you know that this is absolutely real, here is a clip from one of our last winners. Hello? Hi, is this Bridget? Yes, this is Bridget. Hi, Bridget. This is Jessica with Bolton E-Bikes. How are you? I'm doing fine. How are you doing? Good, thanks. I just wanted to give a call to everybody that entered for our recent e-bike giveaway, and I have some news for you. Okay. <laughs> you won an e-bike. You won the Flow.e-bike. e bike <laughs> You're very welcome. That is so good news. Oh, wow. You mean I actually won? You did, yeah. We'll be getting that out to you soon. Thanks so much for entering the giveaway. Thank you for picking me as your winner. I really appreciate this. You just made my day. Oh, good. Thanks. Awesome. I think she was excited about that, and I hope she has a ton of fun with that little flow dot e-bike. You can watch a video of that on YouTube if you want to learn more about that particular model. That was a crowdfunding campaign and the company reached out to me to see if I'd do a review. So whenever somebody contacts me with a bike and they want me to do a review, basically my stipulations are I'm not going to charge you for the review, but I am going to be 100% honest and I'm going to tell people what I think, whether that's good or bad. And when I'm done, I want to be able to give the bike away. That's been really great. I've been able to get my hands on more e-bikes by doing that. And once again, I'm able to give them away. Everybody wins. Now, to the meat of this episode, to the good stuff, the bacon. I like bacon, by the way. What do you really need to understand about how an e-bike works? Well, I went through, like I said, some of the things that you should know before you buy one. But how much about how the e-bike functions do you actually need to understand? And truth be told, this is really up to you. If you don't want to know how your e-bike works and you just want to take it to a local shop to do repairs, that's totally fine. You can do that. I have customers here in Grass Valley who will literally bring their bike back to me with a flat tire 
And then I have others who want to buy parts so they can build their own bike from the frame up. There's a whole wide range. You don't have to be at one end of the spectrum or the other. You can basically fit in there wherever you want. Personally, I like to know how things work, at least get a basic understanding so that if I do ever have a problem or if something's acting weird, I know, is this normal? Is it not normal? Can I fix this? Is it a big problem? Is it a little problem? What's going on? So I just want to give you, like I said, a fundamental understanding of how e-bikes work. And so I am assuming that you know some terms and things about e-bikes. So if you're totally new to e-bikes, I definitely would recommend listening to the episode where I explain what are those five things you should know before you buy one. That might help kind of understand some of the basics here. But if you've already done that, then you're in the right place. Let's jump right into it. Now, the first thing people always talk about, first thing I mentioned in the other episode was about range. And the only thing that really affects range is how much power do you have stored in that battery and how quickly do you use it? So what I mean by that is if you have a battery that's a certain size and you draw 250 watts of power through your motor, then it's going to last longer than if you are drawing 500 watts or 750 watts. And we don't need to get into the watt hours or how to calculate battery sizes or capacities because we've done that before. But what I do want you to understand is some of the more detail of what's inside that battery that makes it function. And it's a little bit more advanced than you might realize. Now, in a car like a car battery, when we think of just the 12-volt starter battery, it's a lead-acid type of battery. There's basically no circuitry or components or anything other than the battery itself. You've got two terminals on the top, and it gives you 12 volts, and you've got the positive and negative terminals, and that's it. That's really all there is to it. There's not much more than that. Now, an e-bike battery, there's a little bit more. There's actually a circuit inside of the battery And that circuit is wired up to the cells in the battery. So it's not like you have just this one giant Duracell battery inside this thing that's 48 volts. You actually have a whole series of what they call 18650, that's how I like to refer to them, or 18650, that's the number spelled out, cells. And those numbers actually refer to the actual physical dimensions of those cells. So it's not a brand name. It doesn't necessarily determine the the chemistry or the capacity. Basically, it's referring to the physical size. It's like the form factor of the cell. And those cells can be bigger or smaller capacities, meaning more or less range, but they have a certain voltage range that they operate at. And you're looking at like 4.2 volts when fully charged on a battery cell like that. So how do we get from 4 volts up to 48 volts, which is a very common e-bike battery voltage? Well, basically, you have to have cells that are wired in series. So let's just pick a nice, easy, round number. If an individual cell is at 4 volts and you put two of them wired in series, now you have 8 volts. Add another one, now you have 12 volts. Add another one, now you have 16 volts, and so on until you get to the desired voltage. And some manufacturers may list on their battery specifications exactly how many cells are wired in series and in parallel. 
Most are not going to do that. If you're looking at buying a battery specifically, it might. Generally speaking, you don't really need to know that because it's pretty standard. A 48 volt battery is almost always a particular number of cells. And then you have batteries wired in parallel. And this is where your range is coming from because that cell has two specifications. There's the voltage, which between that form factor of lithium ion cells is a constant. And then there's a capacity. So that's effectively what that's going to translate to is how much range you can get out of an e-bike. The higher the capacity, the further you can go. And if you have a single cell that has, and I'm just making up a number for an example here, it's rated at say two amp hours. Well, by wiring two of them in parallel, you don't change the voltage, but now you get four amp hours. So depending on how you wire the cells, you either increase voltage or you increase the capacity. Not at the same time though, because physics says, no, that's not going to work. But basically through a combination of those two things, you can create a battery that has a desired voltage and a desired capacity. And so that's a little bit of how that works. Now, I said there's a circuit that's inside of there that makes all of this work, and that's very important. That's referred to as a a BMS, or a battery management system. Now, lithium-ion cells are, are rather particular. They don't like to be discharged too low. They don't like to be charged too fast. And, and mostly these things aren't a factor because of the hardware that's used. Everything is designed together as a complete package with the motor controllers and motors, and everything works together. But so you know that what's actually going on in there, this BMS, that circuit, it's effectively wired to those individual cells, and it's balancing them. And what I mean by that is, let's say you had a battery pack that wasn't balanced. It had no way to know what the voltage was from one cell to another. Well, if you have one cell is a little bit higher and one cell is a little bit lower, when you're looking at the voltage on your screen on an e-bike, and this is kind of in theory, because you should never have a battery that doesn't have a BMS installed. That's bad, and I'll tell you why. But basically, the voltage is going to be the average. Well, if you have one cell that's lower and one that's higher, when you charge it up, that means when you charge it full, you're going to have a cell that's actually charged to a higher voltage than it's supposed to be. And then on the low end, you're going to have the opposite. You're going to have some cells that are lower than they're supposed to be, and they're not going to perform as well. And over time, those voltages will only get further and further apart until the battery dies, or worst case scenario, the battery goes into an overvoltage situation or something and actually can explode and catch fire. Now, you shouldn't worry about that. Most e-bikes have decent components, and they're not made <laughs> so that they do that. I personally, in all the time that I've been working with lithium batteries my whole life, uh, really from those remote-controlled airplanes into e-bikes, I have never had an e-bike or any type of lithium battery fire. I have seen online some others who have, and every one of those that I've seen, there was some other underlying factor, like the person had wired up the battery terminals themselves, and they used some connectors that were not good for that purpose, or they modified it in some way. So just be mindful, and if you're going to mess with battery stuff, know what you're doing for sure. But effectively, getting back to it, so now you know there's a bunch of cells in that battery. You've got a BMS, and the job of that BMS is to keep those cells balanced. So effectively, it can let these cells 
drain, or charge according to their different voltages and make sure that they all stay the same or as close as possible. And that's why a quality BMS matters because it's going to keep the voltages as close as possible. And in theory, the battery life will then be longer. Now coming out of that, then of course you've got typically on an e-bike battery, you've got a discharge port that's going to your motor controller. And then you also usually have a separate charge port where you plug your charger in. And then sometimes you have an on-off switch. And in some of the batteries I've worked on, typically that on-off switch, it's not like a, a light switch where you're thinking where it's physically disconnecting the main power wires. Sometimes it's actually triggering that BMS to tell the battery to turn off. So there's a little bit more circuitry going on inside than you may have realized. Now, do you need to understand that completely? No, <laughs> not really. But I feel like it's important to understand what's going on in the battery. That way, if you ever get tempted to take it apart or try and fix something, you know what's going on there. Now, where this can be useful for troubleshooting is if you know that the BMS shuts off at a certain voltage, which they should because one of its jobs is to protect from under voltage. In other words, if you ride your bike 20 miles, and let's just say your battery has a theoretical 20 mile range, and you drain it all the way, if there wasn't a BMS, basically your bike would continue draining those cells, your bike would just start going slower and slower until eventually it stopped, and the battery would be completely unrecoverable, it wouldn't be usable again. So instead, that BMS cuts the battery off, it effectively just shuts it off completely, your screen goes off, the whole bike shuts off when the voltage gets too low. Now, if you're doing some troubleshooting, let's say your bike is intermittently cutting off and you don't know why, well, if you turn the battery switch off and then back on, or if it doesn't have one, you unplug it, plug it back in, then that could give you an indication, oh, I reset the BMS and now the bike works again. Maybe I was getting close to the cutoff voltage, or maybe the battery is having a problem or the BMS is having a problem and the voltage is getting too low and it keeps shutting it off, but the rest of the bike is fine. Then the next step would be to take a separate battery if you had one, put it on there and see if you have the same problem. That's kind of the ideal condition. We don't always have a second battery laying around, but then you could take a voltmeter or something and put it on the battery terminals and measure the actual voltage and see if it's where it should be or not. So there's just one aspect of a bike. There's a lot more things to cover. So we kind of have to move on from batteries, but now you have a basic understanding of what's inside there and what's actually going on. Now, I mentioned the motor controller because that's basically the thing that the battery plugs into. And the motor controller is the brains of the operation. That is where everything is happening. That's where electrons are moving around. They're turning things on and off. That's where everything is going on from your screen communication to your pedal assist signals to your throttle signals to your brake signals. None of that will work if your motor controller is not working or doesn't have power. So if you're trying to troubleshoot and nothing is working, you always have to start with the battery first. If you have power, then look at the motor controller next, typically to see, is the motor controller even turning on? And that's a real possibility that if the motor controller dies, absolutely nothing's gonna work and there's nothing that can fix that unless you just replace it. But let's hope that you never have that situation with whatever e-bike you are riding. So what all does the motor controller connect to? How does it work? Well, usually there's an on-off switch. Sometimes that could be a key, could be a button up on your handlebars, 
because there's so many different types of e-bikes out there, it's hard to know exactly how you turn that thing on. They're all going to be a little bit different, but usually there's a button somewhere. So you turn it on effectively so the controller isn't sitting there connected to the battery all the time. Now, you may have noticed if you, and you can go try this if you'd like (laughs) after this, uh, or you can put this on pause and go try it if you're by your e-bike. If your battery's on and you remove it from your bike, and then you say, try to turn your display on, you might notice that your display turns on for a split second, then goes back off. That's very common. And that's because there are capacitors in the motor controller that are charged up. And when you turn the screen on, effectively you're discharging what's left in those capacitors. And once that power is gone, there's nothing left because you don't have the battery on. That is completely normal behavior. And most e-bikes will behave that way. So just something to be aware of. Now, if we go kind of just one step at a time through all of the different components, if you have a pedal assist sensor of some type, whether it's a torque sensor or a cadence sensor, usually that's wired into the motor controller. And effectively, you're sending a signal that's telling the bike that you're pedaling, whether it's how fast or how hard, depending on the type of sensor. And that way it knows, oh, you're pedaling. I need to kick in a little bit of power for you. And then it takes that signal and converts that to power to the motor. Now, the motor itself on e-bikes today is what they call a brushless motor. I've had a few people ask about this. And yes, there were absolutely brushed motors. And, And what does that mean? So in electric motors, you have different types and A brushed motor actually has a a physical contactor, uh, multiple physical contactors they refer to as brushes. Sometimes they're spring-loaded, and basically they're they're resting against the internal parts of the motor, and and we don't need to get into the detailed, complicated parts of how exactly motors work. But the the thing I want to talk about is that there is something that's actually physically touching the motor as it turns and that wears down. So eventually those brushes wear out. So the advantage of a brushless motor is just like it sounds. There is no brush that's actually rubbing or touching anything on the inside of that motor to make everything work. So because of that, there's one less thing to wear out. Effectively, in a modern electric bicycle motor, you have bearings that the axle is spinning on. And if you have a direct drive motor, there's not much more than that. You do have what they call hall sensors which are to kind of help with the rotation and movement. And once again, we're getting a little bit deeper into things than we need to. But basically, there's not a whole lot to go wrong. You've got windings, the actual copper wire that's running through that motor that creates the magnetic fields with the magnets and makes it all spin. But nothing's actually like wearing on each other or touching or or vibrating or doing anything like that. So very, very good reliability. These things can last for a long time. And that's why you, you can actually see or find people online with e-bikes that literally have thousands of miles on them with certain motors, and they're still working perfectly fine. Now, if you go to a geared hub motor, you add some planetary gears, so you're adding a few extra moving parts, but still relatively simple. If you go to a mid-drive motor, now you're adding possibly some extra gears or, or a belt or some other pieces to make that function with the the cranks and the drive system of your bicycle. So then we start adding more mechanical parts in. So in theory, obviously less parts is more reliable, but most e-bike motors, they're kind of overbuilt, overdesigned, so they can handle more power. 
and more use than what we typically put through them. So the motor controller is the brains, like I said, it's sending that signal from the pedal assist or a throttle, and it's telling that motor to turn and to how fast to turn. Now, what else is going to that controller? We do have a screen. Now, this is a common misconception. A lot of people are thinking that the screen, because that's the thing that you can see and that's displaying information, that that's kind of the brains of a bike, and it's not. Basically, all the screen is usually doing is displaying the information that's already on the motor controller. So on some e-bikes, you can actually unplug the screen. Sometimes you might have to plug in a, a little adapter or something to make it still turn on or function. But most e-bikes, in theory, you could totally remove the screen and the bike will still work perfectly fine. Now, it doesn't make sense to do that because you can't see your battery voltage, your range, how many miles you've gone, how fast you're going, all of those things that are really useful to have. You can't see that if you don't have that display up there. But just be aware that the screen is not actually what makes the bike work. That's not really the brains of the operation. It's just kind of letting you see what's going on inside that motor controller. Now, usually you'll have a few buttons to control that. Basically, you see a change on your screen, but the kind of the simple way to think about it would be that the signal is actually going to your motor controller and then that signal is going back to your screen to display the information and not the other way around. And there's different protocols, different types. There's all sorts of different ways this could be working. Here's a computer trick for you. If you're not sure if your computer is frozen, and this is an indication to help you understand how this works, it's like the monitor on a computer screen, you can always hit the caps lock button. And if the light comes on on the keyboard, you know it's not frozen because that key does not turn on that light. When you hit the caps lock button, it sends a signal to the computer, which then sends a signal back saying, hey, we turned the caps lock on, turn on the light. So if your computer was frozen, that action would not happen. So it's kind of the same thing with e-bikes and how the, the controller and display function works. Now, another thing we've got plugged into that typically are brake switches. Every e-bike should have these. Uh, they might refer to them as brake cutoffs, brake switches, brake inhibitors, or a motor inhibitor. Effectively, when you pull the brakes left or right, front or back, whatever brake you're pulling, it should cut off all power to the motor. Whether it's the throttle or a pedal assist, the motor should not function if you're pulling on the brakes. And that's a safety function. Basically, you don't want to have the motor kick on when you're not meaning to go because some bikes are very powerful and they could be difficult to stop if you didn't have those brake switches enabled and you accidentally pedaled just to get your feet into a different position or something. Uh, I've got a funny story for you on a bike that I was building a couple years back. It was a new controller that I hadn't used before. I got everything put together. I took it out for a quick test spin. This was a 1500 watt direct drive hub motor. Everything was running great. And then I went to pull the brakes and the bike wanted to keep running. And I was like, uh-oh, what's going on here? And I wasn't pushing the throttle and I wasn't pedaling, but the bike still wanted to run. And I pushed one of the buttons on the handlebars and then it stopped. So I had to take it back to the shop and figure out what was that all about? The bike just wanted to keep accelerating, keep going without me. Uh, and it turns out it had a hardwired cruise control. So after you had pressed the throttle for so many seconds, it would kick it on and uh, I had to disable that so it would work <laughs> more appropriately. 
but that was that was one of my first experiences with oh we need to make sure these brake switches are are working and everything's plugged in before we go for a quick test ride around the block now those brake switches i'm going to say that most bikes are this way because every bike i've ever worked on works this way those brake switches are not required to make the bike function so definitely suggested i would recommend them but not required. Now, why would that be important to know? Well, let's say you hop on your bike one day or you're going down a trail and the motor cuts out, but your display's on, your battery's charged, but you just, you press the throttle or you do the pedal assist and the motor will just not run. It just won't work. Well, there's a good chance one of your brake switches is not working, but it actually thinks the brake is pulled when it's not. Now, every bike that I've worked on, the switch for that is normally open. And what that means is that the switch, the physical wires that make that brake switch indicate that it's turned on to the controller are not connected when your hands are not on the brakes. So when you pull the brake, then that switch closes and then the circuit has a complete path. Now the controller knows you're pulling on the brakes. So if that switch thinks it's closed, your bike's not gonna work. Now to test this, All you have to do is find the plug from your brake switch. So usually there's a cable up by your handlebars on the brake lever or the brake housing somewhere right there. Just follow that along until you find a plug. Unplug it. And some screens have an indicator showing brakes on the screen that make this easier. Some do not. Uh, But if they don't, basically you can unplug it. And then if your motor works, oh, that was the problem. And if that doesn't do it, you can try the other side and maybe that'll get you back on the trail, back home where you need to go. So because you normally have two, you've got some redundancy. So if you pull on both brakes, you're still going to have the safety function of the cutoff. I would still recommend fixing it, but that's been something that I have run into on occasion. And I've had a few people call me uh, with e-bikes over the past few years and say, hey, my bike stopped running. Uh, And we found out that it was just something simple, like a brake switch that wasn't working quite properly. And we just unplugged it. That gets them back home where they need to go, uh, or back to the bike shop where they can get it taken care of and fixed. So that tells you how they work. Now, the physical switches themselves are different. Sometimes they're an actual mechanical switch, and you can hear a small click when you pull the brakes. Sometimes it's a magnetic switch, and you can't hear or see anything that's actually happening. But either way, there is a physical switch that's doing something there in those brakes. Now, what else do we have on an e-bike? We've already covered the battery. We've basically covered the motors, and we've covered the display, the throttle, the brakes. And electrically speaking, that's usually it. You might have some other accessories like a headlight or a taillight. Usually those have an extra connector coming off of the motor controller. It could be battery voltage. It could also be stepped down to something like 12 volts. So just be aware that if you want to switch a headlight, you should probably just measure the voltage on your e-bike specifically to know what it is. And and unfortunately, there's not an industry standard, so it could be anything. Uh, I've seen anything from lights, headlights, taillights. Uh, some taillights function as a brake light using that brake fun- function that we talked about as a signal to the controller it can look for to know when to turn that brake light on. And some e-bikes may even have a horn, basically like a car horn that you can sound to get attention if you ever need to. But basically those are 
the main parts. Now, in a mid-drive setup, sometimes you will have a separate sensor that's placed near the rear wheel, and that's to detect your speed. With a hub motor, you have magnets inside the motor, so it can detect how many revolutions per minute, and it can kind of calculate your speed from there. But if you have a mid-drive, it doesn't actually know, from the motor's perspective, how big your rear wheel is or how fast it's turning. That's going to change depending on what gear you're in. So the mechanism for measuring your speed cannot be in the motor. It has to be a separate sensor. And it kind of looks like a standard speedometer sensor that you might see on standard bicycles. Basically, there's a, a sensor near the wheel, and then there's usually a small magnet mounted onto one of the spokes. And it can pick that up every time it goes by. So if you're riding a mid-drive bike and you have a little magnet on one of your spokes and you're wondering what it's for, that is probably it. So electrically speaking, that's about everything you need to know. That is not super, super detailed on how all of those things work, but I hope that gives you a basic understanding of how those components work with each other. And I hope that if you ever have a problem or you ever need to do some troubleshooting, that gives you a better understanding of how to fix things. Now, on the flip side of that, Maybe now there's nothing wrong at all with your bike, but you just want to upgrade it. You want to make it faster or you want to make it, you know, have more power for hills. So what do you do in those cases? Well, that goes back to the battery and the motor controller and the motor. You kind of have all three of those things working together. And I had mentioned before that with battery voltage, as you go up in voltage, you're going to increase your speed. Now, motors effectively have something, it's, there's a rating for this, and usually you're not going to have this publicly listed or advertised. So I won't even mention what it is because it probably won't matter that much. But effectively, a motor will turn X number of RPMs for every volt applied. So the more volts you apply to the motor, the faster the motor will spin. So if you go from a 48 volt to a 52 volt battery, the motor in theory will spin a little bit faster. Now, if you go from a 48 volt to a 60 volt battery, will the motor spin faster? Well, if everything's happy, absolutely, yes, it's going to spin a lot faster. But, and there's a big but, <laughs> and that, that's the fact that that doesn't mean all the components on the bike can handle 60 volts. And now I'll give you an example. The 750 watt Bafang hub motors that I like to use, they work great on 48 volts. They work well on 52 volts. I've even had people run them at 60 volts, but the motor controllers generally are happy on 48 and 52 volts. But at 60 volts, the average motor controller will fry. You will kill it by putting a battery on it with that high of a voltage. The individual components inside of that controller are not made for that. So then you have to buy a dedicated motor controller that's designed for batteries of 60 volts or more. So you kind of have to just know what you're getting into and how those pieces work together. So if you want a bike that goes super fast and you want the biggest, highest voltage battery that you can fit on there and make that motor work, just be aware that there's gonna be some parts you might have to change. The other thing is the screen, for example, typically gets its power from the motor controller, well, if it can handle 60 volts either, it's going to fry too. So for those Bafang motors, I've had some occasions where I've actually had custom controllers and displays made that are designed to operate at 60 volts instead of the usual 48. And then everything works 
great. And you can make a super fast, you know, 2000 watt bike if you want to. Just be aware that you may have to change a few things. Now, when you get into some of the other components like the throttle or the brakes, those are basically operating at signal level, usually five volts. And so the battery voltage isn't that important because the controller is stepping it down to five volts and just sending signals back and forth. So most of those will work at any time. So if if you're wondering if a throttle, for example, or a brake switch is good for a 48 volt or a 36 volt battery, it doesn't matter. Basically, those are pretty universal. There might be some different plugs. There's some different wiring that can happen. But as far as the actual function, the electronics inside, they'll work across a pretty wide range of voltages. So there you have it. I hope that helps. Like I said, we're just diving in one step at a time. I think as this podcast goes on, each time we get back into it, we'll dive in a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper. And each time you can just take little pieces and understand a little bit more about how your e-bike actually works. And I hope by doing that, you can have more fun and you can be more relaxed when you're riding and not worried about mechanical or electrical problems. E-bikes in general are very reliable. Uh, I, I hardly ever have any issues when it comes down to it. And most of the time, I'm just out there riding, having a lot of fun, or <laughs> I'm in the shop trying to uh, put out more content like this so you can be the one having more fun. Thank you so much for listening to the Bolton E-Bikes podcast. Once again, that was episode number six, where I shared some of the more detailed things about the electronics on e-bikes and how they function to help you better understand how they work. I hope you enjoyed it. We have a really awesome interview coming up next Tuesday, so make sure you don't miss it. If you want to subscribe to our newsletter and know when new podcast episodes come out, please make sure to go to ebikepodcast.com, and you'll also get an email back showing you how to get a chance to win a free electric bike. Now, if you just want to buy a bike, of course, you can always go to my website. I'm happy to have new customers at boltonebikes.com. If you've been listening for several episodes and you enjoy what you hear, please make sure to leave a review. If you're on an Apple device, Apple Podcasts, of course. If not, uh, I appreciate reviews wherever you feel like leaving them. Thanks again for listening to the Bolton E-Bikes podcast. I will be back on another Tuesday. I've got more exciting interviews coming up and some solo episodes mixed in. It's going to be an awesome few months. This podcast is just going awesome. Uh, I'm very happy for all the feedback I've received from everyone so far. And let's keep it up. 